Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is shipper pain points with my friend, Brad Forrester. How's it going, Brad? Hey, Joe. Going well. Thanks for having me today. Thank you so much for being on here. Brad's been on the show before. I like having Brad on the show because him and his partners over there at uh, JBF, they have the... uh, they have the view of the very largest shippers in the world. So uh, we will get his insights today. So before we get started, Brad, please introduce yourself and your company. Sure. Thanks, Joe. Uh, Brad Forrester. I'm the CEO of JBF Consulting. We are a boutique system integrator uh, consulting firm that really specializes in logistics systems, transportation technology for uh, shippers and 3PLs. And you work with the big boys, right? Yeah, we we do. We do a lot of work with large shippers, you know, companies that spend five hundred million to over a billion dollars a year in in freight. But recently, in the, in the past few years, we've we've seen certainly a, a big increase in demand from small and medium sized shippers as well. There's a lot more technology in the market that's mm-hmm. uh, now available to the small and medium sized guys too. Yeah, if you just spend like fifty million, it's still a lot of money. <laughs> still a lot, yeah, yeah. We we do actually have some fifty million dollar uh, shipper clients, and they're they're putting in some sophisticated packages because they have a growth curve or they have uh, complexities in their supply chain that are answered by some of the uh, tier one, tier two TMS systems. And you know, in the past few years, especially with cloud technology, those those tier ones and tier twos have found a way to price and scale down. So they're a little bit more right. open and, and uh, uh, possible now for, for, for SMB shippers. Right. And let's face it, the bar has been raised. So, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, you said, well, we only spend, a, we only spend $50 million on it. We're not going to spend money on technology for that. But now as the technology went down, cost of it, and also the demand by their end customers said, what do you mean you don't use technology? Right. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing here? So, yeah. Anyway, before we get into the topic, I know we went into a little bit about your 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 Spartan. We know that you I went am. to Michigan State here Go in uh, Michigan, and uh, you're you're from Ohio. We remember that. And where do you live now? I live just outside New Haven, Connecticut. Very nice, very nice. So, yeah. is that where your company's based? Yes, based in Guilford, Connecticut. Very nice, very nice. So, when did you found uh, JBF Consulting, and what was the hole you saw in the market? Sure. Yeah, that's a good question. So I started the business in 2003, kind of at the tail end of the the late 90s software mania hype cycle. And and really what we were trying to address at the time in in 2003 was was doing better than, you know, software vendor professional services teams did in terms of implementation methodology, but smaller than like the big five or the big four, you know, back in those days, there were a handful of the big uh, systems integrators. And we thought, you know, there's a sweet spot somewhere in the middle. We, we don't like the vendor led uh, TMS implementations. We think they do a pretty, pretty bad job of, uh, of implementation and, and essentially guiding the clients through this difficult change process. They're, they're very good at screwing in the software, but there's a lot more to it than, than than that in terms of a successful implementation. But on the other on the other side, we also didn't want to drop in a team of 30 or 40 people with no supply chain or logistics expertise either to run a big transformation program for right. you know essentially just installing a, a TMS for a shipper. So we're somewhere in the middle there. We right. we like to say we're right size. Right, and you also uh, you'll help these big the biggest shippers but also even mediums and smaller but you started with the big guys you'll help them select the right transportation management system and then help them implement it and then help yes. them use it i know that's when i've talked to you before that was the yeah, emphasis you is that if you pick the wrong software the implementation never is right and the use <laughs> later on is never that's right, right. That's right. We we firmly believe that uh, the, the biggest driver of implementation failure is picking the wrong tool. 
right? And there's, you know, it, it either costs time, money, or complexity, or it just doesn't work in terms of making fixes to that tool to match what your business requirements are. So you might as well do the design work up front and understand what your business requirements are before you pick the tool, right? Yep. Excellent. Excellent. So, Brad, when we were talking about doing a podcast, one of the things that came up real quick, like, was this idea of shipper pain points. And I know you've, you've talked to a lot of shippers every week, and I wanted to talk about these. And again, I think some of these are really related to tech. And the tendency now is anytime there's a problem, it's like, hey, is there a tech solution? Which makes sense, because let's face it, that's worked pretty well for all of us for a while. You know, can I get an app for that, right? Yeah. And it's not, it's not going to solve all of our problems right now. But when, when you hear from shippers lately, they say, this isn't working. And they're, they're talking to you about a solution and usually looking to you. What tech do I need? Am I wrong to say that? No, that's, that's exactly right, Joe. And I think you're, you're right in terms of characterizing it as, you know, many clients will tend to chase the pain points. They're, they're either going to chase the pain points and, and look at those as the priorities to focus on, or they're chasing the dollars. You know, where, where do they believe that they're hemorrhaging the most money or they have the most potential to, to save or make some margin enhancement for the business? Those are the things that they're going to focus on. And, and you can't fault them for either of those two things. <laughs> no, no. So when we were prepping, we came up with four that you wanted to talk about. So the number one, shipper pain point you're hearing about right now is ocean ocean we 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 are seeing yeah it's such a surprise right so you know it, it's a mess out there we we hear it across industries retail consumer automotive everybody is feeling that the impacts of the ocean supply problems the port congestion you know carrier shortages for for dre and longshoremen Container it, it shortages. Is, it's impacting everything, Joe. And, and like we were talking about earlier, there's also a ripple effect across other modes too, right? So, you know, you, you mentioned air cargo. We got a lot of shippers that are now saying, well, we, we have no air cargo. Where are our relationships? We need to have relationships with forwarders or brokers. And you're seeing a whole lot of churn just because of an impact or a supply imbalance in one mode having a ripple effect across all the other modes too. Yeah. So also, you know, when you think about this, one of the things that's always in my mind is that we're trying to do end-to-end -end supply chain digitization, right? Yeah. I want to see it all digital, right? We've got good chunks of it done, depending on, the, on the, depending what supply chain you're talking about. We've got good chunks of it done, but there are gaps. And what you're, you said when we were prepping is that all of a sudden you have a lot of your big shippers saying, hey, we just always used to say picked up at port, right? Now we want to incorporate technology that helps us better track, trace <laughs> the, the movements of right. air and ocean. Yeah. And that takes you probably all day long to implement that, right? <laughs> well, there, there are a lot of complexities, especially when we're talking about ocean. And some of this comes to managing expectations, right? And, and I think this is kind of a thread that, that, we're, that we're seeing currently. But we'll get some shippers, like a, a retailer will come to us and say, we've, we've got all these gaps with our current tool or technology. It's just not supporting our, our ocean import process. We've got a lot of holes in this uh, piece of it from a data standpoint, a process standpoint. We have all of this manual effort and labor that has to go into us managing a move from the port of wherever to our final DC or our, our store, help us pull this into the system. And there's a lot of complexities. Ocean, as, as you're familiar with, Joe, it's, you know, there's probably 10 trading partners from a, a customs house broker, freight forwarder, ocean carrier, right. sometimes an NVOCC is in the mix. And all of those people are, are using different pieces of data they're playing different roles in this uh, movement of a container from the port of origin to the final destination. And all of those things take time and effort, even just from a, a data standpoint, to pull together into a single right. kind of clean entity that we can then implement into a system. There's a lot of work. There's a right. lot of effort. And ocean complexity makes it, makes it even, even more challenging in, in, in most of these cases. Right. And I know, um, you know, as far as solutions go, you know, we, we know there's a jam on the West Coast, yep. Port of LA or Long Beach. 
And we also know that that people are starting to look at alternatives. How can I bring it into the East Coast or how can I bring it in a different different location? And from what I understand is we've quickly moved from like a West Coast problem to maybe a problem at all the all the ports. Am I right to say that? That's right. That's right, Joe. So I typically don't get into the into the macro stuff as much as, you know, my, right. my partner Mike does. But from from my perspective, where I see the impact to that, let's say it's a it's a shift in mode demand, right? If, if I'm if I'm looking at it from a shipper's perspective, we're we're shifting mode from West Coast Ippy to East Coast Rippy service. And for from my perspective as an implementer, that variability causes complexity. It is far easier for me to create a single ocean movement from, from door to door through a West Coast port to a distribution center in Chicago, Illinois, right. than it is for me to say, well, we could go into the port of Long Beach. We could go into the port of Seattle. We could go into the port of Charleston right. or Norfolk. And now I have N number of options that I have to lay out and codify in a system to be able to right. have enough of a flexibility built into the system to accommodate all of the logistics network changes and, and requirements that we see today. And I think that's another thing from a managing expectations perspective for a shipper, creating or designing flexibility into a system costs money. It becomes more complex and the, the overriding requirement that I see from shippers today is we need flexibility. We need to be adaptable. We need right. to be able to pivot. If I want to shift mode demand to a different mode, go intermodal. Oh, intermodal is blocked up. Let's go to, you know, dedicated. You know, that right. adaptability costs a lot of time and effort to build that complexity into a system. Right. And I think one of the things, getting back to some of the solutions, you you talked about some some companies chartering their own ships. So talk about that for a second. Yeah, I just I read an article about that yesterday morning. That you know some of the the big retailers who are seeing that they're probably going to have some inventory problems for the holidays. They're not going to have products on on the shelves because of these these import challenges uh, on on the ocean side they're chartering vessels right they're going to go to the <laughs> to the carriers crazy. and say we're going to buy the whole the whole ship we're going to load it up with all of our products so that we can ensure that we have at least for our core products or the the highest sell through items uh, those are definitely going to be in our DCs and in our store shelves for for peak season so it's yep. it's a uh, it's out of control right now. It's a crazy market. <laughs> right. And, you know, the one of the things also that I think of, I, I heard this yesterday, I had the uh, CEO from DHL uh, Supply Chain on and Scott's Red, and, and he mentioned that he's seeing certain retailers, I think, reduce SKU counts. So that might be a, a solution they look at. Say, normally we have, you know, 800 SKUs, but we make the most money on these 120. Right. And so let's, let's, pare this down and make sure we get the stuff that makes us the money or the stuff that the consumers absolutely positively need That's into right. the country and and focus our energies on 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 winning a li little bit and yeah yeah and and you, you can know, take the, the, the same the, the same approach joe is is essentially what those companies are doing from a, a pain point standpoint as well you know ocean is causing us the most pain right now let's let's focus our time attention and capital on on the elements of our supply chain that are giving us the most pain, costing us the most money or the most frustration, right? So right. I think that it's a pretty clear uh, reason why uh, we're seeing such a big uptick right. in demand. Right. And one other thing I want to talk about is I know like the technology solution for this, like I know people come to you and say, there's a problem. I want to tech, put a tech solution on that. And it's not a Band-Aid. It's obviously, it's more of a, more like, rehab right yeah. so it's a longer process and and i know you mentioned you know systems like turbo they've been on my podcast a lot and you said that they can bring kind of that connectivity across multiple systems relatively fast and yeah. i like the idea of that because we do have all of a sudden the desire to and it's not just we'll get into this in a second but it's also a small parcel so a bunch of small parcel stuff that we're getting into where somehow you have to connect to disparate systems and it's not yeah. going to be easy overnight. 
Yeah. Yeah, that that's very true. And and there's a in my perspective there's there's somewhat of a correlation between ocean and parcel because traditionally by traditionally I'm I'm talking in terms of enterprise TMS software history, right? So not that long, but for the past 20 years or so, the majority of shippers that are implementing a TMS are looking at the primary modes, right? They're they're saying their their primary modes are LTL and truckload and and intermodal dedicated fleet. Now it is becoming parcel and ocean and air freight, air cargo. Those things are now coming into the fold. And the the TMSs that have been around for a long time, the 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 blue yonders, the the oracles, the Manhattans of the world, were architected to solve problems for truckload LTL dedicated and intermodal. Right. Uh, and they're growing into they're built for domestic. <laughs> they're built for domestic, right? So they've they've all done a tremendous amount of work and investment in R and D to improve these capabilities. But the shippers, from an adoption curve standpoint, are still kind of on the cusp of of doing this, right? It hasn't right. gone totally mainstream yet. So the the correlation between ocean and parcel is that historically you've seen these little spot systems like a like a GT Nexus or Infor Nexus now for ocean. It was very right. dedicated to ocean movements, or you'll have a, a parcel system like a, a Keywill or uh, an Ultraship type system for, for parcel. And, and now they're, they're coming into the fold or TMS companies are trying to, to pull these capabilities into their core platform. Or in, in the case of Turbo, you're going to have these, these content feeds, these networks of specific ocean capabilities from system A, domestic truckload and LTL over the road stuff in system B, and then right. parcel execution maybe in, in your warehouse management system. And then Turbo creates this kind of umbrella solution or control tower, or like the Turbo guys call it, is kind of a single pane of glass, right? So you can see everything in your logistics network and we can incorporate a lot of these uh, workflow and data elements in a single platform. Right. And it was described one time to me, and I like this analogy, is it's like LinkedIn in that LinkedIn has a million. So there's LinkedIn and then there's all the, the apps. I don't know, apps the right word. Yeah. All of these other things plugged into it somewhat seamlessly. And I right. like that kind of. You know, when you when you need to connect, and I know Lineage uses Turbo for that reason, because as they've done a lot of acquisitions, they got all these WMSs that they and that they have to all of a sudden integrate, and they want one system. They can't say, "Yeah, we bought thirty companies, now we got thirty different systems." It just doesn't yeah. work that way. So, yeah. so this is all going to have to have this technology. Uh, update's going to happen, and you know, this is the black swan event we're living through, and I imagine. You you probably got to strike when the iron's hot because in six months they go yeah that pain's gone now <laughs> so I'm worried yeah, about something right. else but yeah well let's talk about the small parcel because you said this is another big pain point for all the big shippers well I know it's for the small shippers but you said you're talking a lot to the bigger guys they yeah. said this is a pain point so what's going on there yeah we're we're seeing a shift Joe in terms of essentially the the prioritization of parcel. And I think COVID has kind of magnified or exacerbated some of this where you, yep. you see companies that are, they have to, it's an existential requirement for them to have the ability to sell their products directly to the consumer and, and fulfill customer orders to the last mile. And Parcel is, is uh, you know, well architected to do just that from a, a network standpoint. Right. The, the problem is the historic vision of Parcel was, very much in the DC. It's a WMS, typically a WMS type of application. Uh, so once we got the, the the product picked, it's wave planned. You know, it comes down the conveyor belt, and we slap a label on it, and it's UPS second day. You know, we need a little bit more right. control. We need more advanced visibility to when the actual allocation of this uh, inventory is going to hit the customer, and we start getting more scientific about when does the customer actually need it? Does it need to ship the same day? Can this go ground instead of air? The shippers want to make better decisions about their parcel spend because it is growing. And as, as we all know from you know FedEx and UPS, they're starting to throttle capacity, refusing pickups. They're 
increasing their fees, you know, year over year, and not only their, right. uh, you know, their their GRIs, but you know, they're also inserting layers of new accessorials. Like so, we, we so work with GRI is the general the general, general rate increase, increase right? So, which yeah. is kind of yeah. Just, so they have you know, that kind of do that general, yearly. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're working with with one shipper, and we we did an analysis of their parcel spend. And there were probably about 37, 38 different accessorial charges for parcel shipments that needed to be looked at, managed, and the systems are still kind of catching up with those types of requirements. Right. So it's a lot of work. The technology is is changing to pull those capabilities into the into the TMS platform, but it's still it's a lot of work. There's a lot of magic behind the scenes to make that stuff happen. So again, this is another area where the, the biggest shippers are seeing a challenge, which means the smaller shippers are too. Totally. And you're being asked, give us, get us a technology solution for this. Give us visibility for these problems, right? Yeah. And, and they're right to think this way is when you have a problem and go, is there technology? Because that's solved a lot of our other problems, right? What's also interesting, you mentioned UPS and FedEx. From what I understand, they can't manage everything that's being thrown at them. And I think over the last year, you mentioned throttling back capacity. I think we've also seen them say, not everyone's a good customer for us. And look, every company does that, except yeah. we never expected that to happen from them. We Everything was good business for them, we thought. That's right. And yeah. I think, I don't know, is it UPS or FedEx uses the uh, U.S. mail too? Yeah, FedEx, I think. Yeah, so when you get something for FedEx or, I don't know, every once in a while you get something in your mailbox from them, which means that they deliver it to your local post office and you picked it up there. That's and right. what's interesting is the postal service is, you know, arguably that th a third parcel provider and they've been they've been overwhelmed. I mean, God, you used to get your mail in a week. God, now it could be two, three weeks on some, some letters. If you ever yeah. send a letter, it's horrible. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The only letters I send typically are tax payments, Joe. So right, no, exactly. Got to pay the states. Yeah, it's interesting. Every once in a while, I have a supplier or some sort that I'll have to send a check to, and they'll go, "Hey, you didn't pay us." I was like, "I sent it like two weeks ago," and then you look, and it's not there yet. And yeah. so we have small parcel overwhelmed, and that's UPS, FedE,x and uh, USPS, United States Postal Service. And I think yeah. we can call Amazon. That fourth, right? If you want, they are a, a parcel provider. But what's interesting, I just saw last week, XPO said we aren't going to do as much business with Amazon. There's the, and those are huge companies doing a lot of complex business, and I'm sure there's there was no falling out. It was just this whole idea of, do I want trailers tied up there, right? And uh, I don't know if this is related to their small parcel or inbound or whatever, but it, it speaks to everybody having so much work that they're going back and saying, does this make sense? Does this make sense? Does this make yeah. sense? Yeah, totally. And, and, and to that effect, Joe, we, we do see shippers that are coming to us and saying, we have a priority or a strategy to regionalize our, our parcel, right? We, we can't rely on UPS, FedEx, and, and the Postal Service to fulfill our customer orders to the last mile. So we need to be smarter about it. So they're looking at, at regional parcel providers now, which, you know, I kind of grew up in the parcel space back in the RPS days, roadway package system. <laughs> and I, I just thought, you know, who would ever need a, a third or fourth option <laughs> beyond UPS and FedEx? But now the regionals are coming into play. What are some of those regionals? We have shippers that are, you know, like a like a laser ship. You know, the the ones who maybe specialize in New England, which is a notoriously difficult area to serve, or something in you know across the uh, the Rocky Mountains, where you know you, you have uh, different regional carriers who specialize in these geographies <laughs> who are more difficult. I wrote, I, when we were prepping, I told you I wrote an article and I was just looking at this and at these part, I wouldn't be surprised if some of these companies are gone, but I know there was Pitt, Ohio, and they'd be out east, right? And yep. then there was On Track, they're out in California, Speedy Delivery, Midwest, Upper Midwest. Then we had Lone Star overnight, obviously, in Texas. Yeah. Then Eastern Connection, that's out, that's out in uh, Massachusetts by you. And then U.S. Cargo, that are... 
you know, I wrote that in 2014, so I know it's way out of date, but right. it, it speaks to this challenge that we're, we're, I wouldn't be surprised there's more players. And then we have all these gig economy players. And I imagine somebody's going to say, we're okay, we're going to start working with one of these gig economy companies. Now they have to be integrated, right? right. And yeah. they don't act exactly the same way as FedEx or UPS. Yeah. Yeah. I've got uh, 10 cubic feet of space available in my trunk going from Guilford, Connecticut to LaGuardia Airport every Monday. So maybe I could haul some haul some boxes to the airport or something. How do you systematize that? Yeah, it's interesting. Years ago, probably five years ago, I was talking to a company that does a lot of deliveries for Amazon in Chicagoland. And now they've expanded beyond, well beyond that. But one of the things that I looked I called the owner. I said, you know, I, I was looking here and it said that you guys do 10,000 deliveries per week. And that seems pretty high. And I actually, I said that kind of wanting to get, because I thought it was supposed to be a week. Mm-hmm. He goes, no, it's 10,000 per day, which is what my yeah. notes said, but I didn't believe my notes. And I said, yeah. 10,000 per day? How are you delivering 10,000 packages a day? He says, well, it's a lot of downtown Chicago. We got like 700 people in yeah. cars and vans doing it. And I was yeah. like, and he said, right. sometimes you go to an apartment building and there's a hundred. I was like, yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's shocking yeah. though that, and this is a company, you know, they've done very well, but it's not a, it's none of the companies that are on these lists. That's right. Yeah. It's a high density problem, but I mean, it, it still points to, there are, there is a shift in transportation demand. There is a shift in transportation capacity options that are available to a shipper. And all of those options, in order for them to be nimble and agile and responsive to these black swan events, those things have to be systematized, right? right. And that's driving a huge part of the, the, the demand for companies like us that, that do systems integration work for logistics systems. So that's, that's right. another thing that, that we see right now is that we're spending a lot of time kind of managing expectations with shippers that you know, you can have these things, yes, but let's do it in a smart way that is most efficient for using your capital and your time and focuses on the either the problems or, or the big the big ticket items that are going to save you the most money. You can't have everything because there's a lot that goes behind the scenes on on any of these initiatives. And usually it's data and you know, really boring, technical, geeky, data cleansing and integration type stuff. But that's that's where all the magic happens. Right. So we want to talk about four shipper pain points. The first one was the West Coast, which West Coast yep. jam up, which became quickly all coast jam up. And now uh, we talked about small parcel. And again, that that area has exploded. If you look at how many, much more um, the market cap of UPS and FedEx and the, during the pandemic just exploded. And all these new options, you know, I bet if we were to sit down and try and sketch out the the new small parcel universe, we would be shocked by the number of businesses in that space. Yeah. And when I say small parcel, I'm just including last mile in there, not even knowing if that's appropriate. <laughs> Who knows? I think you it know? is. Yeah, I think it is. And 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 you're seeing you're seeing a corresponding change also in in the technology space, right? For logistics technology solutions that are filling gaps uh, no different than you know these these new haulers and regional uh, parcel providers are filling gaps in in the physical distribution network as well right so if you're a shipper you know if you're if you're a, a small or a medium size or even a big shipper with all of that change to the physical network the transportation network and technology it it's it's no wonder that they're you know there's so much demand right now for smart systems people to come in and, and help kind of rationalize that for a shipper. Yeah, exactly. Well, and again, it, 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 we'll be better prepared next time. And again, this being a bit of a big shift in the way we move freight, as you said, yeah. it, it's all, it went from a lot to a lot more to, you know, final mile and uh, last mile and small parcel. And also, you know, it's interesting. I think we're seeing a lot more people talk about rail, we're talking a lot more people ship shipping yep. by air air rather than so all of a sudden we have all these mode changes and it, it caught us a little flat footed, I think. Yeah. I, I don't think that anybody, even even myself, I'm I'm a little surprised looking back to see how how much correlation there is across the modes, 
or amongst the modes actually. You know, so one one supply or demand imbalance for ocean is causing a huge ripple effect across all of the other modes, right? Air cargo, intermodal, right. even over the road. And and it's it's incredible right. to me how much correlation there is there. But there's so much demand in right. the market to move goods. There's a lot of product movement and logistics is the critical link in that physical physical product movement to get stuff to a, a consumer. So there's there's no shortcoming or no shortcuts for, for that. Right. And, you know, um, I haven't said it lately, but it, for a while, I was saying every other podcast, I was using the term VUCA, which is uh, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. Right. And that, I think, was coined in the 80s, but I heard it, you know, some Navy SEAL said it in a book I was listening to, Brett Gleason's book. And when I heard I was about VUCA, I was like, that's brilliant. That's again, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity. I was like, that's, that's, that's what we're living in. We're living in VUCA times yeah. and it requires us to become more resilient. It requires us to do a lot more work and uh, go back to the drawing board on some of these uh, supply chain issues. So, yeah. so we talked about the, the, the first two problems. What's the third problem that you're hearing from, from shippers? What's their third big pain point? Well, I, I really think the, the other big pain point that we have from shippers is just kind of there's there's a gap in terms of expectations, right? We we expected this <laughs> to be A and we're getting C. So that that pain point doesn't doesn't really go away. But there's beyond ocean, beyond parcel, you know, those are some significant challenges and pain points. But the, I think one of the one of the other things that we're seeing in the market is is kind of this adoption curve shifting from on-premise to cloud. That's a big pain point for our shippers as well, right? Because as you know, right. they've likely invested in, in these uh, on-premise platforms 20 years ago, maybe even longer. And now there's a change in technology with cloud technologies and uh, multi-tenant cloud. Right. Everybody's moving to distributed systems and microservices strategies and things like that. And the shippers are, are on their heels saying, okay, I, I have now an outdated platform that's on premise. Everybody's telling me that I have to go to the cloud and I see the price tag to move to the cloud and it's huge. And it's kind of like more than I pay on an annualized basis today. Not only that, but I have to re-implement the software, even if it's from vendor A to vendor A, it is still a re-implementation of, of the system because there's no easy button right. that just moves data from, from old on-premise to, to new cloud version. There's no easy button. So right. it's a re-implementation. It's a big ticket item. <laughs> right. So you, so these, and again, I, I keep thinking, uh, Brad, there's going to be young people going, what, what is this on-premise that, that these old people keep talking about? <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Yeah. On-premise would be that I had a server and I kept it at my location, perhaps. And right. I would get CDs when the, when the software updated. And by the way, this was 20 years ago when these people would be implementing this, 25 years ago. I don't know when the first one came yep. about. They yep. would have had bright young men like Brad implementing them, and it would have been the highest of the high tech. So these were large companies that made big investments, and you would get CDs to update, and you would have to plug put those CDs into the machine and and it would update and you watch the blinking lights and you know it's working hard. You can watch your server and all the lights blink and you think life is good. Yeah. And what's happening to those guys after millions and millions of shipments in some cases, their supplier is saying, we're no longer going to support that on-premise or we, we'd like to move you to the cloud, which is where the server technology lives. I have, to, right. I have to stay in the shallow end when we talk about this kind of thing. But <laughs> what they're being told is you have to make this migration. And sometimes it's because their company, their old 3PL or their old TMS got bought. And the company says, we're not supporting that old stuff anymore. So you're moving right. to the cloud. And you said, it's it's such an upset that you might as well look around and say, do I even need, Do I, should I look at another system completely? That's right. Yeah. It's what we call a triggering event. Right. So the, the shift in technology to a cloud based platform from an on premise platform or any type of major uh, shift like that is, is what we call a, a triggering event. This, this trigger is going to fire when the, the, the client, our shipper says, I need to make a decision. 
Do I stay on-premise with the legacy software that I have and I've enjoyed and I've used for the past 20 years? Or do I need to keep up with the technology curve? And in the majority of cases, those, those shippers, that our clients, are going to say, yeah, I need to keep up with technology. I see, I see the impact if I don't. But because of the price tag to make that shift in technology, this triggering event is also a really good opportunity for the shipper to say, how has my business changed in the past 20 years? Do I have any new requirements? Am I seeing any, right. new, any new things in my network? And I'm sure that they are right? Because we've seen new things come just in the past two years, regional parcel, ocean issues, et cetera, the things that we just rattled off. Those things are new capabilities, new requirements that need to be incorporated and likely weren't in their on-premise model. Now we have to do it in a new cloud-based model. So these triggering events become really good opportunities for for the client to kind of dust off their requirements list, you know, project themselves five, 10 years in the future and say, where am I going to be five to 10 years from now? What right. do I need to make my decision based off of? And what is my technology roadmap to, to get us there? And that could be, right. yeah, I, I'm going to go from vendor A's on-premise platform to vendor D's cloud platform. I'm going to totally shift vendors because right. I might as well. It's a good opportunity. I've got to redo everything anyway. Right. It could have. It also could have been, hey, I used to work with XYZ company. They got bought by ABC and now that ABC got bought by (laughs) another company. Another good triggering event. Right. Where you say, I never really picked these guys in the first place. They, they, they got me when they bought the business. And it's interesting because these guys would have been the highest of the high tech. These would have been big, big shippers, very sophisticated 20 years ago. And no, it's not like they're not sophisticated now. It's just their technology because they were had millions of shipments over the years. It is not an easy move. It's like moving yeah. out of an old mansion. <laughs> oh, it's it's not easy. And it, it, it is a, a bitter pill to swallow if you're a shipper that, let's say, 20 years ago, you may have invested $5 million to license uh, a TMS and then another million to $2 million to implement the TMS. And then yep. you get a lot of, you know, you get a lot of payback, but you're upgrading every three to five years. You've invested multi-millions into this on-premise TMS. And then for a software company who makes a decision to move their technology from on-premise to cloud, and then they, they come back to you and say, here's your, here's your new cloud subscription fee, and here's your new implementation cost, which is another multi-million dollar transaction for the shipper. They're like, well, uh, why do I have uh, to rebuy and repay and re-implement? Doesn't doesn't my money count? You know, in the past twenty years, count for anything? Right. And you know, it doesn't, unfortunately. What have you done for me lately? Yep. <laughs> so we've talked about the we've talked we've talked about the West Coast and all, all the other coasts for that matter. All the other ports jam up. Yep. We've talked about small parcel, and we've talked about this. The, the some of the biggest most sophisticated shippers in the world. I mean, spending hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. having to make this painful move in some cases. And that's a pain point. And the reason to make the pain, painful moves is just for what we talked about. The world is changing. You know, the expectations we all have for technology are changing, which brings us to the fourth point, which is just overall managing expectations. We've We've become very used to technology solving a lot of problems in our consumer life. And then when we go to work, there's gaps. There's still gaps in the systems. And anytime there's a gap, you go, wait, why am I doing this? And I think one of the things you mentioned when we're prepping is like emails. So speak to some of these gaps that all of a sudden we're looking and saying, why are we doing it this way? Right. Yeah. So there, there are, there are a lot of issues that I see in, in, implementation of, of technology that, you know, our, obviously our market is logistics technology, but in terms of expectations, that is where I see a big failure point with, with our shippers. Even the most sophisticated shippers sometimes get caught up with the kind of the, the excitement of a good PowerPoint pitch, right? Or a, a really sweet, sexy demo of, of new technology. You know, and and they see the, you know, the the turbo demo and they're like, whiz bang, I'm going to chase this shiny thing and I'm going to I'm going to implement this. 
but the the expectations need to be set that everything comes at a cost and all of the underlying technology is really down to the nitty-gritty let's look at the data you know how how good of quality right. is your data and and how many places are the system of records and when you look at a right. normal logistics platform or a transportation system there are multiple dozens of systems of record that are being incorporated and presented as transactions in, in, in a TMS. And we have to normalize, harmonize, and synchronize all of that data before it, right. it, it exists in the TMS. That work still has to right. happen, setting the expectations with the client that, yes, this new visibility tool is a great is a great tool. It is not a silver bullet. It is not going to be plug and play. You've got to actually roll up your sleeves and do the, the dirty work to make it work for you. There's there's no other way right. to it. Yeah, and, and you know what? You you said this to me, and um, Mike said this, your partner Mike said this, uh, Mike McQueen, that consumer, consumer technologies that we all use, whether it's Facebook or Amazon or DoorDash or Lyft, yeah. We've gotten very spoiled by just how, how the wonderful experience it is. And, and then you go to work and if there's any gaps, you're like, damn it. But yeah. getting the pizza and tracking it to your house is a lot easier than, than getting auto parts from China to, to Detroit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's totally true. And, and I think also what's happened is we didn't have certain things and you know, just to the points about parcel and ocean we didn't necessarily incorporate all those things into our TMS. Some people did, but it, it, it wasn't relevant. Those movements weren't all relevant. Now all of a sudden you go, damn, I need that in there. Right. Yeah. And, and we're finding those gaps. And you mentioned the data gap. You, I, when we were prepping, we won't mention names, but you, you were saying a shipper said, Hey, this is cool. We've got all this data. We're going to be able to predict the future with this data. We got it's this digital twin, right? Yeah. And I'm going to, get into the digital twin scenario planning. And then you found out that the data wasn't necessarily good enough for that, or even to predict right. when stuff was coming. We'll get there. It just doesn't, you know, you start off with 25, 30% of that capability. And over time, as the data gets better, as the, as our implementations get better, I'll get it. But in the beginning, you have to tell somebody it ain't there yet. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. And, and that's, a, that's another great example, Joe, of, of kind of managing expectations. And, and one of the things that we, we work with our, our clients on is just that, right? So it's like, all right, if you have this need and you think that a visibility platform or a digital twin tool that is <clears throat> powered by artificial intelligence and has uh, machine learning capabilities built in, at the end of the day, if that platform is kind of the, the whole underpinning of this platform and its capabilities is coming from an ocean carrier who still has to send a 315 status message into this platform, then there's the first gap and we need to manage the expectations right. there. There's a data quality, a data governance, and a timeliness problem that always has always been a, an issue, especially with ocean. And I'm picking on ocean today. That seems to be the theme. And, it's, and there's it's no a magic hard thing bullet. to do. So <laughs> there's there's no magic right. bullet, right? So if 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 an EDI carrier providing this AI platform goes dark for a week, there's no artificial intelligence that can make up where is my product, where is the container, is it at the right, port right. or is it on the water? It's a gap. And yep. we need to, to work with clients to manage their expectations that predictive ETA is good. It's a happy path, but let's not build our whole business case around the, right. the predictive ETA being there. Right. And it was, you know, we talked about having the digital supply chain and we built out big chunks of it. And that a lot of it works very well. As we've seen this black swan event where we have to other, some, some gaps. And, um, you know, one of the other gaps I'm, I had, Michael Darden on my podcast talking about digital freight matching and how we're going to have to, as an industry, come together and say we need some unique shipment identifiers because digital freight matching 
has limitations if if I, it finds out a whole bunch of different load boards information. So there's that. And then I mentioned Emerge. We talked about what we were prepping. Yeah. They have this RFP platform. We need to be able to do RFPs, but we're doing it with Excel spreadsheets. We're doing it with mass emails. And uh, they started Emerge because they said, anytime we see a, a spreadsheet, we know potentially that is not the right solution. Excel's yeah. great. It's just not the way you should run your supply chain. That's right. Yeah. And one other thing, we talked about emails. Years ago, a vice president of a logistics company said to me, Joe, when are we getting rid of emails? And and he was talking, <laughs> I was consulting. <laughs> and I said, oh, that's a good point. Because we have a system of record. We have a TMS or WMS or whatever it is. And then I say, that's my system of record. Well, what about the email that Brad sent me saying, it's an extra hundred bucks. Yeah. <laughs> is that yeah, that's a system right. of record? It, <laughs> and I say, yeah. it's not in the system, Brad. I'm not paying you. So we have to get to the point where we say all the communications within the systems. And I know, I know some you know, like turbos that way, you know, where you can capture all this. So the collaboration is all internal. We need to get to that place where that's right. We need the technology to catch up the rest of the way. And it's not going to happen overnight. Again, this is where we got to manage expectations. This is complex. Yeah, yeah. The 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 traditionally the the focus for us as systems integrators has been on integrating data from source system to target system, and it's very binary, right? There's there's no context in there. But where where I think Turbo is is a good example, and some of the other tools, or even tools like Teams and Slack that can be integrated right. with these enterprise systems to provide a contextual right. layer. That, that helps right. to uh, provide some additional insights or value to that, that transaction, which is a very simple data element. So we're seeing right. that as well. And, and when we were prepping for this, uh, Brad, I mentioned when I managed a 3PL, I would always say to, to people who work for me, if, you, if there's a change to the price, make sure you call and talk to the customer and say, hey, there was a detention or an extra cost or whatever. Talk to them, follow up with an email, always copy me if you don't mind, and then cut and paste that and slap, put it in our TMS. Well, you know, some of those things didn't happen. And then later right. on, when you go, hey, didn't we add 200 bucks for detention for that load? Not in the system. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Do I want to bill them and then later on go, hey, why is this higher? And you say, oh, remember, I, remember Bob who left last week? He sent you an email <laughs> two months ago. We're, right. we're going into his, uh, we're going through his emails right now. And he said that he talked to you. <laughs> Yeah, Joe, your your unplanned accessorial example is is spot on, and and that's a great example of of contextual information that helps provide value to a specific transaction. And and this for for most systems, they're they're still too rigid and still kind of old school. But I I do believe that we'll get there. We're seeing email technologies today. I, I'm a small business owner. I have systems that I've created workflows <laughs> based on emails that come in. I can just right click and say, save this to my CRM tool or save this to right. Teams. And that, that ability, I think, will, will, become, will be coming into right. enterprise applications. Very oh, yeah. If, if it isn't already. And by the way, well, like ro I had the guys from Lean uh, talking about robotic process automation. And you can get it so it... it looks through your emails and then puts it into a system for you. So if That's you say, right. hey, any email that references this number, slap it into the system. And, yeah. you know, you could say, hey, I got a friend who said, oh, I got like 60 requests a day for stuff that I had to buy. She was purchasing. And I said, is it coming by email? I go, why don't they put it into a system? And she said, oh, they just send me emails and I have to process it. And I go, so you have to cut and paste that information into a system. Yeah. I said, first off, they should put it into a system, but if they're not going to, let RPA put it into the system. And I think that that's the kind of thing we got to get. Email is fantastic. We all love it uh, or hate it, depending on the moment. Right? And yeah. it sells the same way. PowerPoint's the same way. We love these tools. They give us tremendous flexibility, but it is not the system of record. And, it, and in a lot of cases, it is bad habits. Like, you know, again, yeah. the, the RFP things where you say, oh, I send an email to 200 carriers. And I remember working at a carrier and receiving that and going, yippee, 
I hardly know these guys, and they want me to quote a thousand lanes. <laughs> Email is one of those things. It's it's a great example of how people use technology and how difficult it is to change, right? Change management in terms of shifting technology from platform A to platform B. People get entrenched. They become very comfortable. They they have routines that are built around this. Right. Normal day-to-day Joe Lynch workflow. I get an email. I respond to the email. That task is done. And when email goes away, you're going to have to learn to live with a new way to take in that workflow, make sure your tasks get done. Otherwise, it's not going to get done. Right. Brad, when, when I got my first text message, I remember I was like in my 20s and I remember sitting in my car at a pizza place <laughs> at drive through yeah. And I remember I get a text from a friend and it said something like, hi, how you doing? And I was like, oh, how'd he do that? I don't know what, <laughs> what he did here, but that's like crazy. And yeah. I remember getting it thinking, and then, and then somebody saying, oh, you can send text messages. And I was like, well, why would I? I want to talk to Brad. I'll pick up the phone and call him. Yeah. And it was the dumbest thing for any adult <laughs> for like the first 10 years where you're like, why am I getting text messages? Who would do such a stupid thing? And that's become very common. It would not be rare for business people now to send text messages. It was 20 years ago. It was 15 years ago. It'd be almost inappropriate. I wouldn't even know your mobile phone. Now I don't know your landline if you have one. I can just I can just uh, envision you, Joe, at the at the pizza place, getting the text message, and then figuring out that you have to to reply. You hit seven seven six five four 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 one two just to say all good, right? And now it's it's a little bit different now. This is why people have to retire and die off because I can remember when fax machines and text messages were new. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Brad, I'm going to summarize this and I'm going to get your final thoughts on it. So we talked about shipper pain points. The first one is the West Coast and then all the all the other ports being jammed up. And you, and really, your focus is people looking for technology solutions for this. And not, not only that, but also looking for alternative supply chains. They have to really lean in on the 3PL and say, help me. You know, they might find themselves having to reduce skew counts, chartering, mode optimization, we got to get real creative for the West Coast problem. Yeah. Secondly, you talked about small parcel. And again, that you're looking at a tech perspective. How are we going to fix this? How are we going to incorporate not just UPS and FedEx, but all another dozen <laughs> solutions into that? And what are those alternatives? What are going to be the winners? What are going to be the losers? And we talked a lot about these really big shippers who might have implemented something 20 years ago. And they might have been on the cutting edge. And now they're looking at their blinking lights on their server that's in their office and saying that thing's got to go. We got to move to the cloud and we have to figure out what our supply chain is supposed to look like. It's clean sheet of paper. And how do I move 2 million files <laughs> from, from our yep. premise to the cloud? And, and then last but not least, we just talked about these gaps in the technology that we have really high expectations for this digital supply chain and there's still gaps. So there's yeah. new technologies. We mentioned Turbo, we mentioned Emerge, where they're trying to fill some of these gaps, but we don't have, we still have them there. We still have emails, we still have Excel spreadsheets, stuff like that, that we're trying to wean ourselves off of. So what's your final thoughts on this bad boy? Put a bow on this. The, the, uh, The underlying thread that I see here, Joe, is that there are there's a high correlation for, for a transportation logistics network across all modes. So an imbalance of capacity or supply or demand in one mode is going to trickle into other modes. Shippers are seeing that because it's hitting them really hard with ocean and, and with parcel today. And I think that that is forcing a lot of shippers to aggregate all of these modes and these decisions into their into their logistics platforms, their TMSs, their you know, whatever you, whatever platform you want to call it, ERPs in some cases, right? So, so that is kind of driving some demand or driving some systems integration work in the, in the broader market. And then I think coupled with that, we're also in a big technology adoption shift, right? We're, we're shifting from on-prem, we're shifting from kind of self-hosted models into true multi-tenant cloud. Software is becoming easier to create. We, we see a lot of small small shops, oh, yeah. one to two people who are developing really cool applications for 
warehouse automation or logistics technology, filling the gaps that that the uh, that the legacy, the larger software companies are are not looking at. But with all of those things, you see a big market shift from a software perspective. There's a lot of consolidation. There's a lot of acquisition. You see a lot of these triggering events that are driving shippers to relook at their platforms and right. come up with a with a better roadmap for their technology solutions. And then it's just the details, the data work, managing expectations, right. handling the change management. It's uh, it, it all comes back to just you know blocking and tackling. Let's do it pragmatically. Let's focus on the pains or the money. And, and we can solve most of the problems. Not all of them, but most of them. Right. You know, Brad, as you were saying that, one of the things that has occurred to me is that, you know, we're moving more and more towards automated shipments where, you know, it comes out of one system. And uh, I had Felipe Capella and he said 85% of their dry van shipments go automatically. So this, this goes in the system and t- connects with the carrier. We kind of expect that. But when we hit this black swan event, we found ourselves scrambling, right? And there was, you couldn't count on the system to say, oh, we got your back. We know exactly what to do. I think if we were having the same conversation 10, 15 years from now, we'd say our systems, we had we had the ability to do scenario planning. We had a little sandbox where we could say, what if? Yeah. And we could plug in all those what if scenarios and our systems would update. You know, there's no magic because we'll be doing it over the next 10 years. But We'll get to the point where we say, oh, the West Coast is filled. Here was the automatic adjustments. Here's what happens, right? Yeah. There was a tornado somewhere. Here's the automatic adjustments. Right now we do it. It's just we're doing it manually. We're doing it with human brain power. If I get the opportunity, if you have me back on, I think a great follow-up topic is is what we call the happy path. Right? Oh, I like kind it. Of <laughs> building, building flexibility into a system is is a great objective but it is actually very difficult to do so we could we could talk a long time about happy path but the the essence of it is there are a lot of anomalies and a lot of variations and a lot of options that are happening you know to shippers in the market today and to be able to have a nimble agile system for a nimble agile company is actually very difficult to do because we have to build right. in so many permutations and so many types of lanes to be able to accommodate. Well, it's not going to be this. It's going to be more like this. And tomorrow it's going to be totally different. Right. That that comes at a cost and it's something that, that we, we deal with a lot. So hopefully you'll have me back. Yeah, I will definitely. I would love to talk about the happy path. And since I'm a, a tech lightweight, I'll just say, you know, AI and machine learning will do all that. And, uh, just, you know, where's that easy button? Where's the, the, easy, yep, the button? easy button? That's right. <laughs> Migrate. Yeah. Anyway, Brad, before you go, tell us a little bit about who's the sweet spot for JBF Consulting and what do you guys do and how do you help people succeed? Sure. Thank you. So sweet spot for, for JBF is obviously you're a shipper or a 3PL. You're likely moving product for your enterprise or on behalf of your client, and you need technology and tools to help you with the the actual logistics. So we can help customers select the right tool uh, for their requirements, not just requirements Mm -hmm. for today, but for the next five to 10 years. We can help them implement it. We can help them make sure that they adopt it, take care of it, and that it's continually generating value for them for, for year over year, right? So that's that's essentially what we do. The scope of work that we work work with is transportation systems, fleet management systems, yard systems, etc. We may branch off into some other places, but the the core of what we do is the digitization of the physical product movement. Very nice, very nice. So what I'll do, Brad, is I'll put a link to your website and a link to your your LinkedIn profile. And I did a few other podcasts, one with you and uh, Mike, and I think another one with Mike. So I'll put all those, link those in the show notes. So if you guys want to go back and see some other stuff that Brad and Mike talked about. And again, I love the perspective you guys have because you work with the biggest shippers. And and now it sounds like you're also working with some smaller ones, but even your small shippers are fantastic big customers. I mean, you talk yeah. to anybody who's a three PL guy says, "I found a fifty million dollars shipper." That's fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> and, and right. you look at it and go, "Yeah, they're kind of small." <laughs> yeah, that's but right. I appreciate you coming on the podcast, and we will have to do the next podcast. I like the the idea of time out 
you know, the, the flexibility and the happy path that uh, we all want to be on. Anyway, thanks again. That sounds great. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Yep. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.